Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Music Business Podcasts for our first Meet the Host special. Uh, really wanted to do this because we're super grateful that you guys are actually tuning in here. Wanted to make sure you guys have enough context on both of your hosts. So in today's episode, this is me, Sam Heisel. I'm going to be interviewing my co-host, Jordan Williams. Jordan's the manager and operations consultant at EQT, which is a super talented management company. They have an incredible roster uh, with some of my favorite artists, uh, Goldlink, Smino, the list goes on, Masego. So with that said, really excited to be interviewing my co-host. I know that the tables have turned a little bit here, Jordan, but how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's cold in New York, but oh, I'm it's, good. it's way too cold. Got to get out to LA soon. With that said, man, I'd, I'd, for starters, let's just lay the foundation. I know you've been working with EQT now for a little bit of time, uh, almost what, two years? Uh, September 2015. Okay, wow. So it'll be four years in September. Jeez, time flies. So can you tell us a little bit of how you got involved with EQT and what EQT does? Um, good question. So I got involved with EQT through the co-founder of the company, Dan Friedman. Um, him and I actually went to the same high school. And when I was coming to New York, um, the dean of students actually connected us. So I think it was like in 2014, I actually met him. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, I just was like, I got to get more information from this guy and I got to learn from this guy. So at first there was a, a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and then after that, he got me a couple internships. Uh, one was at Mass Appeal Records, just off his recommendations, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, one was at a, a PR company called Audible Treats. Um, and then at the end of that, I just I joined a company that he had recently formed, and that company was EQT. Great. So what is EQT? How do you guys function? What do you think makes you guys unique as a management company? Um, well, I think that the co-founders, Dan and Henny, first of all, did a really good job curating people and people that will work together with their egos aside. Um, I think at a lot of other companies, you get like the strict corporate culture, even if it's a management company, which tends to be a little bit more on the closest to the creative side since it's management. Um, you still have that really good creative energy at EQT, whether that's through helping the artist uh, pick songs for their album or creative problem solving. Um, and I think we all respect each other a lot to to get to, you know, to get from A to Z and there not be too many disagreements or arguments and being able to tell what's really right for the artist and kind of put ourselves aside. So I think that's what kind of differentiates us from other management companies. Mm -hmm. And how big is the team now total? Uh, 12. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And what does the structure look like? Obviously you got Dan and Henny at the top um, and then you have some other managers, admin. How, How does the kind of corporate structure set up? Um, so it's sort of like executives and then kind of like everybody else. So, um, I think Dan Henny and then the third executive, Clara Bogle, she, they all don't, uh, they all don't make us feel like they're executives too much. Um, you know, when I introduced one of my best friends to Henny, I was like, Hey, you know, this is Henny, my boss. And he took me aside afterwards and was like, you don't really need to like say I'm your boss like that. Like we, we work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, I think the company is really nimble. And I think, you know, 
I would consider myself sort of a manager and operations consultant. No one has ever told me that, though, mm-hmm. you know, because right. we don't really have titles. That's just sort of how I would identify myself. Um, so in terms of the structure, there's kind of executives. And then um, there are people with specific roles. And I think those roles are becoming more and more prevalent as the years go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but since the company is still, you know, very young, a lot of the people that we hired were in the past year, we're still, we're still kind of figuring that out. So um, there's some people that are a little bit more administrative, like myself, and then a coworker that I have named Jasmine, who's a, who's getting a little bit more on the day-to-day side now. Um, there's people who are like, you know, more creative, like, you know, there's somebody on our team named Ramya, who's who's really good at putting together, you know, or make or streamlining like treatments for music videos mm-hmm. and and styling and that sort of thing. Totally. Um, same thing with another person on the team named Kaz. And then there, you know, uh, everybody kind of has a different skill set, you know, and then there are people right. with the ear. There are people on our team that just like, they can spot out good music from a mile away. So um, it kind of, it kind of spans between all of that, but we all kind of help each other. Like, one of those people I'm talking about with the ear, Jeremy, he just helped me finish some stuff on Photoshop the other day, nice. just to give you an idea of, you know, kind of getting in where you fit in. It's not necessarily, oh, Jeremy's the one with the ear. He should be the only one finding music. Like he can help me on, on Photoshop stuff too. And he's fine with that. And everybody's fine with that. You know, For sure. I'm more administrative, but I'm down to help with, you know, whatever needs to, whatever needs to be done to support these yeah. artists' careers. For sure. For sure. And then Claire, that's a slightly more recent addition on the executive level. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership, how you guys ended up coming together there and kind of her experience and what she brought to the table? Um, well, Claire started a company called Score More Shows. Um, and she started it when she was like 19 years old or something like that. Um, so that was like 10 years ago. So she ended up hiring a bunch of people at the company. Um, they really were able to build it out into something special. They actually just put on Travis Scott's uh, Astro World was the most recent thing that they've done. Um, and I think what she brings is experience and a lot of valuable experience. Um, And I think that's something that's great about all three of the executives is that I can talk to them on the phone and I'm getting, you know, I'm getting advice that people would pay for, but I'm getting it from these people that have, you know, all years and years of experience in the industry. Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, I know Claire has known Dan and Henny for like a really long time. So um, I think in the beginning, they were thinking about starting something together and it ended up working out. And then uh, Claire was kind of looking for maybe a direction to go in, a different one. And then she ended up, you know, Dan and Henny and her ended up putting together some sort of deal where she came to EQT. And I think she still does consulting work for for Scoremore. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's valuable. I think I was talking with Henny and he started as a promoter too. But I think just being able to have, and even you, I mean, having worked at a PR company, at a record label, I mean, just bringing all these diverse perspectives together under one roof is a really right. powerful combination. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I know for you, I know you're like super organized, definitely help really spearhead a lot of the organizational stuff and then kind of streamlining operations and whatnot. Uh, Yet the music industry is like notoriously inefficient and unorganized. Um, What do you consider to be some of the most impactful organizational skills for different companies in the music industry? Something that music industry people I don't think already do. That, yeah, and different management companies. Um, I think something that I try to do that I think is sort of a niche uh, thing to do for productivity and efficiency is measure my time. I measure my time a lot. Where does my time go? Where is it spent? How can Mm -hmm. it be spent better? Um, I think people in general don't do that. One, because it sounds anxiety inducing, like, Mm -hmm. you know, listing out the things that you have to do. But every morning I have a schedule for the things that I'm going to do. And I don't have a schedule just for the calls and the meetings I have. I have a schedule for you know, when I'm supposed to go to the gym, like that's on my calendar or, you know, when I'm going to make myself breakfast, even that's on my calendar. Um, 
So I'm able to really through that. I know, you know, when it, you know, my, my schedule and it changes sometimes, but like right now it's the first three hours of the day. I only do to do list stuff. And then around 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock after I'm, after I'm done doing that, everybody on the West coast is waking up. So I'm getting a bunch of emails and that's when that's I switch nice. to emails. Right. You know what I mean? But those first three hours of the day are really important because if I get a bunch of stuff done, then by the time I start getting distracted by email at 11 and 12, I already sort of feel accomplished. Totally. So um, to answer your question, I think measuring time is a, is a really big thing. Um, I think documenting and implementing uh, streamlined processes is mm-hmm. something that's really, really big that I'm a huge, huge fan of that you see a little bit more in corporate America that I think the music industry can actually benefit from. So, uh, you know, whether that comes to tour marketing, assets you need, or, you know, an album rollout, these things, a lot of them are more repetitive than we think. And if there is a, a variation in, you know, an album rollout, let's say we have that document, uh, that process documented and there's a variation in it, at least you have a base to start from, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think that's a really, a really big thing. And I think those two things together, in addition to, in addition to finally, you know, having resources readily available, I think is like the third big thing. Yeah. Um, so having reference points for people to go back to, so there doesn't have to be too many questions, you know, really documenting not just how stuff is done, but best practices for certain mm-hmm. things, you know? Yeah. Um, I think those are real game changers and things that I've been trying to implement at the company myself. It's awesome. That's super cool. So one thing I think that stands out to me that I really like about you guys is your roster. So I think uh, some of the core artists, I mean, Goldlink, Smino, Masego, Berhana, JPEG Mafia, um, it's this really eclectic mix. I mean, you got like a soulful, like Masego, almost like Berhana type vibe. Then you have the like alternative, like JPEG Mafia. Then you got the like Goldlink, who I've been fucking with for a while since the selection days, who's this kind of like future soul, like upbeat. I mean, right. it's awesome stuff. I personally see it as very much kind of the next wave of hip hop. But sonically, where do you really see the kind of direction going in the, in the hip hop and R&B worlds? Yeah, a couple of people have actually asked me that. I think um, this is just a theory I have Mm -hmm. when there's a really, you know, not to get too deep into politics, but when there's a really poor president, I think conscious rap comes back uh, just because families are disenfranchised. And then and then the people that are affected by those the most are the ones that come out, you know, fully trying to explain themselves Mm -hmm. and their situation. I think you kind of see a movement with that right now. Well, you know, JID's album, he's like spitting on that album, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's extremely popular. I mean, he's like spitting on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, not to say that people in different areas of the industry are mm-hmm. less important. You know, I like, yeah. I like party rap too. I like pop rap. I kind of listen to everything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think conscious rap is going to be, is going to be more and more important uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. than it used to be. Right on. You know? I think it's going to make a sort of sort of a comeback, like just good technical rappers. You know? That's awesome. No, I'm yeah. excited for that for sure. On the subject of uh, spitting, rumor has it you used to be a rapper yourself. Yeah, yeah, I used Please, to. Please enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, I used to rap. I rapped for a really long time. I've actually, I guess, I technically rapped longer than I've been in the music industry, which is like a crazy thing to think about. I started rapping when I was like, like actually, when I was like 16 years old. Um, it started off me writing poetry when I was younger. Um, and then from there, like, of course, being like, yo, these are like pretty much raps. Like Mm -hmm. you should just try to put it into music. Um, and then from there I started releasing stuff. Like a lot of it's like super corny at this point. I had some super corny names, uh, along the way. But one thing that it taught me is, uh, is how to like work and how to work on your own time. So, you know, getting in the studio, you know, it was work. 
doing the work afterwards, you know, doing the, doing my own press, doing my own pitching, you know, all that stuff, you had to be a self-starter in order to, in order to figure out. And I kind of had to teach myself that sort of stuff. That being said, you know, I had, I had a lot of mentors along the way, you know, my family, I have family that were in the music industry. So I'm the only one that actually works in the music business. Now there's a lot of people, my brother, I have two brothers uh, that still, I would say are musicians. Um, And I kind of transitioned to the music business, but you know, all of us, it all started from just trying to figure it out, you know? So um, yeah, I used to rap, but I credit that more with, I credit that more with really like developing an entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like trying to figure out how to rap well. For sure. It's funny. You said I was organized. I think, I think my flows were like too organized. Like they were very boring. You know what I mean? Like I tried to rap in every bar. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to make every word rhyme perfectly. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So that was kind of a reflection of where my brain, how my brain works. Right. Um, it was just wasn't for creative it was from more of a business side you know for sure so the transition from kind of putting the rap dreams aside to pursue the business side of the industry i know you went to nyu and studied music business when did you decide that you really wanted to kind of stop focusing on the actual like music creation side and focus more when it came to kind of really trying to create a legacy in the industry as a businessman um i think at some point like in college i realized that i didn't like creating music as much as i thought i did it was like, this music is a means to an end. I'm creating it because I want to do the work after it. So I would go in the studio for like hours and it would come out weak every time. It wouldn't seem like I was in it. And that's mm. because I didn't want to be in it. I would make the song. I'd be super hyped to send it to the mixing engineer and it'd be done. And then I'd be the, the most happy when I was pitching the songs myself, creating the, you know, the networking opportunities myself. Right. That's what I really thrived off of. So um, I think my... Sophomore year, junior year, I was like, this is just, this just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. You know, I told someone I have, I'd rather have like my own office than my own studio. Yeah, 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 for sure. Then I just decided to stop. When it came, I mean, obviously studying music business at NYU, prestigious university, how valuable do you think that collegiate education actually was? I know in the kind of the more entrepreneurial world, oftentimes people tout like, it's funny because in the startup world, people try and claim that dropping out of college to some extent is like them bragging, like, I didn't need college. But at the same time, obviously, there's tons of skills that you are able to learn. What was your experience studying music business at NYU? Did you find it to be very valuable, impactful? If so, what were some of the biggest takeaways? Um, it's funny. Somebody just asked me this earlier today, so I have it fresh on my mind. I think the, one of the biggest takeaways, there were three. One of them is that I learned time management. Um, you know, having projects, having projects due, having finals and balancing all that with internships and jobs. Yeah. It taught me and it taught me time management strictly, you know, it taught me by necessity, really. For sure. You know, so, totally. um, you know, I remember thinking when I graduated, like, I can't wait to have more time when I graduate because I had so many things on my plate during college. It was like, right. I have no time for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I had time to kind of downgrade to a job. You know, things have obviously picked up since then. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very busy again, but I've, I've been here before, right. you know, because I did it in college. So I'm handling it a lot better than I did the first yeah. time. Um, I think that college teaches you discipline. Um, it teaches you how to do things. I mean, I, you know, I thought school was all right, but it, it taught me how to do things that I didn't really want to do. So it yeah. kind of taught me how to just grind, like really right. hustle to, to, to get an A, even if I didn't want to do it, you mm-hmm. know? So now that, you know, there are classes I hated and I had to do it for three and a half months 
Like, and I hated them. I didn't like walking into them. And I had to spend hours a week on those classes because those were the hardest classes to pass. Yeah. And there's stuff in my career right now, just mundane tasks, you know, that are everybody's career that I just don't want to do. But like I said, I've done that before. Yeah. I've had to sit in a class for 90 minutes every two days and and just hate it. Right. You know what I mean? So um, I think it taught me that. And then third, it, I mean, it, I think it, I think it really, I think NYU gave me a good foundation of the music industry um, in a way that was low stakes. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I had to get a good grade in my music business classes. I majored in music business, um, but I, I wasn't messing up someone's company if right. I didn't do well on a test. Totally, you know what I mean. So it gave me a lot of room to fail. Right, right, right. right. That's awesome. Um, So I want to talk and explore a little bit. Obviously, you interface and work with lots of different artists and Mm -hmm. communicate with them often. Um, What's, for starters, what's the most frustrating part about working with artists sometimes? I mean, I think, you know, artist management more than a lot of other careers in the music industry is you're working with people. So, um, and you're working, you know, directly with the CEO of and the, and the founder of their company, which is the artist and and their music. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, you know, when you're not on the right page with an artist, um, I would consider that frustrating, but I wouldn't consider it negative. I would consider that just growing pains with you and the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, sometimes when I'm in those positions and I'm like, oh, well, now at least we get to talk about this. Right. You know, so like if there's something that I think should be different about the creative or if there's something that I think should be different about the rollout or, you know, the marketing plan. Um, and I bring it to the artist and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. You yeah. know, that, you know, it's frustrating, but it gives me the opportunity to be like, why? And learn more about them and be able to work on their behalf a little right. more. Right. Um, so I think in any field where you're working with people, like you're going to, you're going to, but you're going to bump heads. Totally. Um, and that can obviously be frustrating, but you know, it's all just creating and developing and nurturing that relationship that you have with the artist. Mm-hmm. I remember yesterday you were telling me about the, the good cop, bad cop strategy. Can you share that approach? Yeah, so I actually didn't even know this was a thing until until fairly recently. But um, I am, like I said, I'm pretty organized, and I want to get things from point A to point B in a fairly reasonable manner. Um, and then we have some other people on the team that um, are also, you know, just because of proximity, they're closer to the artists. They can be kind of cool with them. And I think I think you know, occasionally, I can be the kind of person. Uh, like the the parental figure that's like, you know, eat your vegetables at the table. Like, mm-hmm. let's get this, let's get this done. You know, at the same time though, you have the other manager who's kind of doing the opposite. That's kind of like, yo, let's just chill for a little bit. Tell me some of your ideas. And that's just as valuable. Um, so, you know, that happens a good amount, I feel like, especially with me. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, when you going to get this? When you going to get this? Yo, let's do this. Let's do this. And a lot of times there needs to be a dichotomy. It needs to be somebody else to be like, oh yeah, Jordan, mm-hmm. he's doing his job. He's good at his job, but he can trip sometimes. You yeah, know what I'm saying? For sure, so, for sure. um, you know, roles between people and how they interact with artists, you know, they're not necessarily, it's not like we go into it like, oh, Jordan's going to be the bad cop and I'm going to be the mm-hmm. good cop. That's just how it ends up sometimes. And then you just kind of have to roll with it, you know? Totally, totally, totally. Looking at the landscape of other management companies, who stands out to you? Like other management companies? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Visionary Music Group is a big one. Why? Um, I think because I kind of saw their ascent from, from years ago when they picked up Logic to where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a really great artist. Uh, I think their team is really efficient, and I think they're good at thinking differently. So mm-hmm. um, I think Team Visionary is a good one. 
plug the upcoming episode yeah, I mean, of the Music why, Business dude, Podcast that's why, with Harrison That's why I Rambler. wanted to interview him, man. That's yeah. why I wanted to interview him. So um, for that reason, exactly. Um, other management companies, I'm trying to think here. It's funny because management companies kind of work in the dark, right? Totally. So like EQT, even if you go to our website, we don't have anything on the website. Mm-hmm. It's just a logo and then contact and, and privacy policy. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Right. Um, yeah, I have to think about that. A no, little that's more. helpful. So what do you think makes a good manager versus a great manager? Um, so this is this. The answer to this question is, you know, it's it can change. For sure. Um, I think right now in my career, the thing that I've realized this past year is that it's, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can't take things so personally. You know, if an artist is upset or um, if an idea that you've brought forward to the table is shot down, it's not about you. It's about finding out the best option forward for that artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think great managers can see the difference between I want to do this because I'm into it and I want to do this because it's good for the artist in their career. Um, I think when you're able to draw that line, I think is a, a really big moment in a, in a manager's career of when they can really start making real progress. Right. Um, so you said just, just great managers, I guess. Yeah. Just good versus great. Yeah. What are some of the common mistakes you see managers make or like going to the other end of the good versus great spectrum towards the like mediocre bad? <laughs> um, I think managers can micromanage. Like mm-hmm. it's very, very easy to micromanage. You have so many decisions to make every day as a manager. It's super easy for somebody to send you something and it look good. And you'd be like, oh no, well maybe we should change this one thing. Oh, you know what? Actually we should change this one thing. So like I said, it takes, it takes really stepping back and being like, okay, well what's good for the artist? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just, you know, you have a lot of power as a manager. So instead of thinking, oh, I have a lot of power, I should change something in this proposal just because I can Right. versus I should change something in this proposal because it's good for the artist. Or if this is great, I should just leave it alone. Right. I should just accept the proposal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, so I think managers, I, you know, I think the biggest mistakes that I've seen personally with managers is just micromanaging for, for no reason. And that takes time. I used to do it too. Yeah, you, know, yeah, I used yeah. to, you know, people used to send me stuff and I used to be like, oh, well, it looks weird if I say this is okay. Right. I should say something is wrong with it. I right. we should change it. You for know sure. what I mean? Um, and it just, you know, it takes time to really realize what some things you need to step into and change and some things you don't. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Advice for artists to find managers. How do they do it? I mean, obviously it's, uh, I mean, sometimes it can just be your friend that's your manager. Other times you start working with a renowned management company like EQT. Um, if I'm an artist that's already been making music, starting to bubble, still relatively early on in my career, how do you approach finding a great manager? Um, management usually happens like really early in the artist's career. Um, it's like so early that I, I don't even think people should look for managers. I think they should just do their own thing because you, you want somebody to manage you who really likes your music, who would like run through walls for you. You know right. what I mean? So if I come to you and I'm like, Sam, can you manage me? And you're like, yeah. Like that's already, you're already not, you already don't have the attitude to manage me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like someone should be approaching you right. saying like, yo, your music is really good. Do you have a manager? And that's, and that usually happens a lot of the times, most of the times before a label even finds you, right. you know, managers, um, they're the first people to bet on the artist, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I think, you know, my advice to them is just to do your own thing. Um, try to get your name out there as much as possible. Keep learning, keep getting an education in the music industry and what you should do. And, do that DIY management for a while. And then when you, when you finally break through a barrier, there'll be somebody waiting for you. Yeah, you know, for somebody sure. will reach out. And a lot of the times it's people with no experience and that's, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Um, but somebody will reach out when the time is right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, 
Awesome. Okay. Platinum. What crew by Goldlink is double platinum, triple gold? It's triple platinum now. Triple platinum. As of as God of today. Damn. As of today. Yeah. Massive congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Can you talk us through that journey of what it was like being involved in a record that's now triple platinum? Obviously, uh, I mean, it, I mean, you were there from the from the jump. I mean, through that entire journey. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like, I didn't even know crew existed, and so like it was just sitting on our hard drive like as a company and I like listened to it and I was like yo this is crazy I was, I was like this is when does this come out like when is it I was just freaking out so <laughs> um it just gave me a really good feeling I know that sounds really corny but you know I was listening to crew for months before it ever came out mm-hmm. because I just liked the song so so talk us through the journey of it getting released through going platinum I mean I think it's a uh... Obviously, you can't, like, replicate the model for every song. I mean, it's just a great song, too. But, like, really curious, your perspective, what you felt to be some of the biggest, like, inflection points or the, the biggest standout elements of that story that, ha- that kept help propelling that song forward? Yo, so the thing is, like, Crew kind of went on its own. Like, we released it in December, and it went platinum, like, almost a year later. So it was, like... It was like, you know, straight up grassroots. People were just finding the song and sharing the song. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So um, I think when, at least when, you know, I personally thought the track would be like a really big track. Did I know it was going to get nominated for a Grammy? No. Did I think it was going to go triple platinum? Like, maybe. Um, and I think that's just a real testament to the power that a, just a quality song can bring, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so the song comes out in December. We put the video out in March. It's moving. It's doing all right. The people who hear it like it, you know, even my family members were hitting me like, yo, this is a super tight video. Yeah, song's yeah, super yeah. tight. And then the summer comes all of a sudden and it's like this song was just giving new life. It's like it, it must have been a summer song because I feel like during the summer is when, you know, I heard it on the radio a time. Right. And then all of a sudden it gained this momentum. And then the next thing you know, you know, you know, October, November comes or whenever they say, you know, when Grammys are nominations or whenever they say it, it was like, yo, like. Gold Link's nominated for a Grammy. You know, I think we all just felt like, you know, this was the next step for him. Right. You know, um, and I'm not even sure if we all were expecting it to happen right then, you know, uh, but he's got some he's got some good music coming out. And I think that I think that that Grammy nomination and the, the success after it has really made him a more confident rapper. And I think everybody will hear that in, yeah. in his new music. So sure. I'm super excited about it. That's yeah. incredible. When it comes to promotion strategy for new music and records and sustaining records, chilling in a catalog, um, how much of that is you guys really spearheading strategy or how much of that is you just kind of relying on the label to spearhead strategy? Well, we work with a lot of artists that don't have a label. So um, I think it's sort of different in in those scenarios. Um, I think management is always going to be the helm of of any artist's career. Mm-hmm. And that includes the marketing strategy too. Um, so, you know, whether the label comes up with the ideas or we come up with the ideas, it's still on us to, to make sure that they're right for the artists and the artist's career and their, and their vision uh, mm-hmm. for the, and that the label's vision for the song is an actual an accurate one and something right. that we kind of agree with. Um, so I guess in terms of marketing for people that aren't on a label, I think a lot of it is us and a lot of it is a company that we work with called M theory. Um, they're sort of consultants for us. Um, I think a lot of it is collaboration with, with M theory on execution and then having sort of management come up with the ideas, you know? So 
And it can, that can come in the form of like a late night text to someone right. just like, yo, I think this would be cool. And then we end up running with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of how it works sometimes. Or like it could be in a, in a, a marketing phone call. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's just about being open to ideas and then eventually, you know, one of them, letting one of them stick, you know? For sure. Totally. Um, so obviously your core role is an A&R and, and finding new artists and new music. I know you're definitely a big fan yourself and spend tons of time listening to music. And yeah, to the extent that you do come across an awesome artist, I'm sure there's, uh, coming from the short child Williams, carry some <laughs> weight. uh, with that said, like, how does, uh, how do you approach A&R? How does EQT approach A&R? Like, what are you guys looking for? Is there a process behind it or it just kind of happens organically? I don't think you want to get too deep into a process because you want to be able to keep your ears open. You want to be able to keep listening to music as it comes in. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm only going to find artists off Spotify playlists, I can miss something on an Apple Music playlist. Or if I say I'm only going to listen to music from these certain people, then I'm going to miss the music that the average consumer finds and sends to me. You know, mm-hmm. um, So I think, at least from my perspective, it seems like the A&R teams that have a really good ear, they just constantly listen to new music. Right. And then they back up that that discovery with with data and analytics. Um, and if they match, cool. And you know, sometimes they don't. And it's like, okay, well, this is still a great artist, and they yeah. still end up popping. You know what I mean? So, um, I think a lot of it is just following your gut. Uh, it's a lot of it is great positioning. Where does this artist fit in the current landscape of music? And I think that's a question a lot of people forget. Like, mm-hmm. I can like a song and then think that it's not gonna pop, or I can like an artist and think it's not gonna pop because the positioning is too weak. Or the narrative isn't strong enough, right. you know. Um, it's sort of thinking about all of that and uh, and coming together and deciding on, you know, if we should take next steps with that artist. And and a lot of it is, you know, listening to music before it comes out. Like one of the first questions I ask when I'm when I'm really entertaining an artist, or I feel like when when A and R's do in general, is you know, what other music do you have that isn't already right. out? Like where where is your sound going to? Mm-hmm. Not just what is it right now. Totally. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lot of everything, but, um, I think if you were to try to make it a process too much, you'd be, you'd be detracting from your own, your own skill set of having that good ear, you know? Totally, totally, totally. Um, before we jump into the hot takes, what are your ambitions, man? I know you got a big vision, super, I mean, you're a true hustler. It's been a pleasure and honor getting to collaborate on this project with you. And I think, uh, it seems like things are going really well with you at EQT and then kind of your evolution there. Um, what's the goal? What are you working towards? All right. So I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I think like everybody, they just want to keep progressing and, and growing. Um, so in terms of that, like, and in terms of my personal goals, um, my goals at EQT kind of, kind of shift around a lot. So my personal goals, I think, I think a position of leadership at some point would be really cool. Um, I don't really have like a super strict timeline on it. Um, but yeah, I think a position of leadership at some point would be really cool. Um, I also think that diving into another realm other than music at some point would be really cool. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm programming right now. I'm trying to figure out how to become like a semi-decent programmer. Um, so maybe at some point figuring out how how technology can really interact with music in a different and fun and unique way. And and not necessarily something that's consumer facing, but maybe business to business facing mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, just for EQT, just kind of figuring out, you know, how can we use this to, to, to have an edge? Um, so in terms of ambitions, I think, uh, I think it's just keeping progressing and, and moving forward. And hopefully, you know, someday I can be 
you know, my ideal music businessman, you know. Um, but like I said, I try not to put I try not to put too much pressure into a plan because I still want to keep an open mind. Like totally. if you had to ask me a couple years ago what I was doing in New York, even I would have said I wanted to be a rapper. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. just about keeping that open mind and just For moving sure. forward with what feels right, you know. Totally, totally. Cool, man. So now the hot takes. I'm ready. Dun dun dun. Finding new talent is the most important part in artist management. True or false? Um, I think, yeah. I think finding management, I think finding talent is, is really important. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the only important thing though. Right. You know, I think a lot of people confuse finding new talent with, with, and that, and that being like the only thing and totally forgetting about that. You have to work really hard. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously very biased with this, uh, but I think the game changers in the future for artist management is just really figuring out operational efficiency. Um, and I think that's really important and overlooked in a lot of, in a lot of music companies. Um, I think, I think that's important at an artist management company. And I also think that's overlooked a lot is um, synergy between employees, not just between employees and artists, but, you know, if me and you work together, Sam, it's like, well, how is our relationship doing, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And just keeping that, that open dialogue, open communication and no judgment atmosphere out in the open for everybody. Um, So yeah, the talent is obviously very important. Like if we were signing bad acts, the company would go nowhere no matter what I tried to do Mm -hmm. operationally. Um, But that engine to kind of keep the the train moving, I think is what people constantly forget about. So true, but sort of false too, because I don't want to feel, I don't want people to feel like when I say true, they don't listen to the rest. They're like, okay, right. he said true, and they walk away from the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no, a lot. Cool. There's a lot more that goes into it, also. Word. Last hot take. Uh, obviously, you live in New York, New York yeah. City. Hot take. Los Angeles is the mecca of the music industry, and if you want to thrive in the music industry, you need to be living in LA. I don't. I don't agree with that. Um, I think I kind of see New York as the brains of the operation. Um, and I see LA as kind of like the arms and legs, like where the artists are, where the music is, um, that sort of thing. Um, I think a lot of places are headquartered here. Um, I think you can just move quicker here. Like I said, every day I wake up at, and I get to work at 9 a.m., like I got three hours before everybody is really up at their computers. And I can take advantage of that time in the day that yeah. LA just doesn't have. That right. being said, they do hit me three hours later, um, yeah. but it's just different. You yeah. know what I mean? If I can just wake up and get the biggest stuff done out of the day, I think that's really important. Um, I think the the grind of New York is is really good for for music industry professionals and artists in the beginning because mm-hmm. they can learn how to like really hustle out here. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. That sun out there, I love it, but it can be intoxicating. Yeah. You know. So uh, being out here and really having to you know hustle and grind, I think is something that. You know, if you co- if you live here and then you move to LA, I think that's when you crush it the most. Like if you right. live here for a while and then you decide to go out to LA, everybody's like, "Oh man, this, this is crazy!" Like you you are so good at what you do. I feel like that ha- I've heard that story so many times. Right. Um, that being said, you don't you have to. Have, I do think you have to have people there. Right. But I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I think you can come here and have just as successful as a career. Totally. You know. Right on. Um. Well, this has been super fun, man. I obviously yeah. I enjoy interviewing you a lot. One last question. 
What excites you about the Music Business Podcast? I know we've been putting a lot of time into this. Uh, like, what are well, you hoping to, to really help other people with? What are you hoping personally? Um, what excites me about it the most is our is our guests. I'm just really excited to talk to our guests. Like, yeah. that's kind of the whole point of this whole thing, you know? Like, if I wasn't if I wasn't talking to our guests on the podcast, I'd be inviting them to lunch, be inviting them to yeah. dinner, whatever I could to pick their brain. For sure. So the fact that we can just share that information with people is is really awesome. Yeah. I think that's to, to really put it on a platform. I think that's like super cool. Fantastic. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on as a guest <laughs> to our show. Uh, so with that said, um, thanks for listening, guys. As always, feel free to tune back in. Uh, super grateful that you're here. Super excited about this podcast. Had tons of uh, tons of super awesome episodes coming out soon. Thank you.